listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Well, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers in the room. It is, it is deserved, uh, you being here today, no matter what stage of life you're in, um, you, you deserve someone to tell you happy Father's Day. And so happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. This is a difficult task, especially as our church has grown and and, in the directions that it's grown and the opportunities that we have, because I've come to realize that on days like today, if I preach a message that is aimed at dads or at men in the room, um, then I alienate more than half the room besides who's watching online and especially at the Florida Women's Reception Center, because the only man that's going to be in the room will be Randy Dyson or the chaplain. And so uh, I, I have to be careful. I understand that I have to be careful not to just cater our, my messages. Listen, if, if, if you need your man to hear a message geared towards men, tell him to show up to man up one Saturday a month, okay? Those are always geared towards men. Um, they, can, they can get that there. But today, um, I'm going to accept this assignment of, of preaching a Father's Day message to everybody in the room, to everybody in the room. Amen. Man, there was a scientist, a scientist that once said to God, he said, we don't need you anymore. He said, God, science has figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, God, we can now do what you did in the beginning. God replied, he said, oh, is that so? Do tell. The scientist said, well, we can now take dirt and form it into the likeness of you, breathe life into it, thus creating man. God said, well, that's interesting. Show me. So the scientist bent down to the earth and and started to mold the soil, and God interrupted, and he says, oh, no, 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 no. Get your own dirt. (laughs) Now, there are a couple of truths in this story. The first one is this. God is the creator of all things. Who agrees with me on that, okay? God is the creator of all things. Everything that is, everything that was, everything that will be was made by God. God created it all. The second truth to this, man is made from dirt. I'm sorry. There's no other way to look at it. Man is made from dirt. Man, I've tried I've searched the Bible, I've tried to twist it, I've tried my best to figure out how I could manipulate this, but when, I, when it really just, just boils down to the truth, there's no other way around it, men. We are dirt. We were dirt in the beginning. We were dirt yesterday. We're dirt today. We're going to be dirt tomorrow. We're, we're dirt. Genesis 2 and 7, listen to this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We know that man to be Adam, the first man, Adam. You know, the, the very name Adam, it, it means earth, dirt. That's what the name means, Adam. So, so women, you don't have to, like, call him a bad name. You don't have to lower yourself and use vulgar vocabulary. No, next time he ticks you off, just look at him and call him Adam. If he's in the room, he'll know exactly what you mean by that. You're calling him dirt, Adam, earth. That's that's who you are. The the contemporary English version of the Bible uses that same verse, and it says, the Lord God took some soil from the ground and made a man. Now, I I can tell by some of the looks, men in the room, you're like, I thought you said you weren't going to aim this at us. You know, you're coming pretty hard right now, Pastor. If you're having a hard time, men, jumping on board with, with what I'm saying right now, just be glad 
that I'm not reading this morning from the, the Dwayne Reams Bible because that same verse in the Dwayne Reams uh, uh, Bible, it's, it says this, and the Lord God formed man of the slime of the earth. Yeah, there's a reason why I didn't choose that one. The Lord God formed man from the slime of the earth. Suddenly being dirt doesn't look so bad, does it? And all the men are like, yeah, he did, you slime ball. But, but be careful, women, be careful. Because men are made from dirt, and then God took one of our ribs and he made you. Okay? So you aren't much better. Just bona fide. Hardened dirt. Petrified. Prehistoric, if you will. But I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. This is about, about men today, right? We're all dirt. Listen, I, I, I need you to understand that. Everybody in this room, we're created from dirt. That's who we are. We are dirt. But the reality is this, church, is that God can do amazing things with dirt. That's all God needs. God can do amazing things with dirt. God can take ordinary dirt and do extraordinary things with it. And throughout the ages, he has always picked the simple and mundane to accomplish the amazing God chose an ordinary piece of dirt named Noah to save the human race from extinction. Joseph, an ordinary piece of dirt. God took this ordinary dreamer and used him to save Egypt from from drought and famine. Moses, an ordinary man hiding in the wilderness, and God used him to set his people free. Just an ordinary piece of dirt. And how about David, an ordinary shepherd boy? God used this ordinary piece of dirt to defeat a tall Philistine and save the nation of Israel from their enemies. But, but probably my favorite part of this whole thing is, is that God would send his son, get this, as an ordinary piece of dirt. That's what he did. He, he could have chose to send his son in all of his glory, all of his splendor, But when he chose to send his son, he he created him like he created us. An ordinary piece of dirt because who else could take our place unless they were one of us? And so he sent his son as an ordinary piece of dirt to die for the sins of humanity and to bring us back into right relationship, right standing with the heavenly father. God uses dirt. How many of you are thankful that God uses dirt? Amen? It, It does not matter how bougie you try to be. You come from dirt, and to dirt you will return. Listen to Genesis 3 and 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. But, but you know what happens? The world, and sometimes even the church, even Christians sometimes, we're impressed with people with, with their wealth, We're impressed with their fame, their beauty, their popularity, their high levels of education, their accomplishments. That's what tends to impress the human race sometimes. And yes, these are are great, and and they're not evil all in and by themselves, but, but these are not the criteria that God uses when he chooses people 
to be used by him. That, that's not exactly what God is looking for. God isn't looking for flashy. He's not looking for charismatic, powerfully gifted, high accomplished. Uh, he, he's not looking for, for people who, who have it all together to do his mighty works. He's looking for simple, ordinary men and women. He's looking for ordinary dirt. That's all God's looking for. Today, God is looking for dirt. He's looking for dirt. So if you feel like dirt, if you feel like you're, you're the scum on the bottom of somebody's shoe, you're probably a great candidate to be used by God. 1 Corinthians 1 and 27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God uses dirt. Somebody say that with me. God uses dirt. Say it again. God uses dirt. 1 Peter 5 and 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, get this, but gives grace to the humble. There's nothing that's, that, 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 that brings about more humility than, than realizing that you're nothing more than dirt. That, that's humbling, right? God uses dirt. Say it with me again. God uses dirt. God uses the ordinary, mundane, uninteresting people of society to do extraordinary things. And, and he could have used, <coughs> he could have used any other element known to man to create humanity, but he chose dirt. He didn't use rushing water. He didn't use forceful winds, consuming fire. When God chose to make man, <coughs> he used the most least impressive of all the elements. He used the earth. Dirt. He made us from ordinary earth. Sure. He takes that ordinary earth that he sculpts into his image. And he breathes into it the breath of life. There's the wind. He washes it with the living water. And then he anoints us with the Holy Spirit and fire. But when it begins, it's just earth. Just dirt. With all that being said, I don't want you to relegate God's ability by your unimpressive simplicity of just being dirt. Because dirt in the hands of the Father is extraordinary. What God can do with just simple dirt has the ability to transform not only your life, but others' lives that you come in contact with. It has the ability to change nations. It has the ability to change this world. God gave the prophet Jeremiah, and I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 18, and then I'm going to turn to the New Testament in just a few moments. But, but this is interesting. God gave the prophet Jeremiah some unique instructions. Now, the book of Jeremiah is a long, a long book. And, and God was talking to Jeremiah, and, and he told him these words. He said, listen, I want you to go to the potter's house. And when you get to the potter's house, I, 
I'm going to talk to you. And, and if I'm Jeremiah, I'm like, well, you're talking to me right now. Why can't we just have this conversation here? But there's something about, about obeying God to, to hear something even more, something deeper, something that, that, that confounds the wise. It's, there's something about that. So he obeys. Jeremiah obeys. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Very important. Listen to this. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his will. Here it is. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Okay, maybe, maybe you didn't read that the way that I read that. But did you forget your Bibles? Did you, did you read the screen? But let's look at verse 4 again. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. Can anybody relate to that? That when God was making you out of dirt, what God intended to make, that, that maybe you just didn't quite live up to that? Like, like maybe... Maybe you fell short of that goal of what God, of, of the vision that God had. Let, let me read it again because I just don't think you're getting it. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. But here's the grace. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Church, listen. If you've ever experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life, this verse should excite you. If you've ever experienced the transformation and, and, and the tr transforming power of God in your life, this verse has to do it. It didn't turn out as he hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again, and he started over. Church, how many of you are thankful that we serve a God of second chances? Amen? We serve a God of second chances. God has plans for our lives. You understand that, right? God has plans for your life. God has hopes. God has futures for us. He's got this thing planned out. He knows what he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. He's got a plan, but sometimes we don't live up to that. Sometimes we don't accomplish that. We don't become what he wants us to be. But because he is a God of free will, he will never force us to become what he longs for us to be, what he wants us to be. That, that, that's the beauty of God is that he doesn't force us here. But because he is a God of grace and he is a God of mercy, when we don't turn out right, he is faithful to put us back on the potter's wheel and he begins remolding, reworking our lives. He gives us that second chance. He gives us a second chance. How many of you are thankful that you had a second chance? I'm looking around the room. And a third chance. And a fourth chance. And a fifth chance, and a sixth chance, and a seventh chance, and an eighth chance, and a ninth chance, and a tenth. He is a God of, of multiple chances. And he's willing to do that, that every time we fall off the potter's wheel, or we're marred, and we're not where we need to be, we have some blemish within us. We didn't live up to his expectations. He is faithful to put us right back on the potter's wheel, and he begins resculpting our lives. I'm reminded of how Christ reworked a man's life using all of the elements, or, or, or rather using of all the elements. He used dirt. John chapter 9, if you will, really quickly, we got to get there. John chapter 9, of all the elements that he could, 
he, he could use. He chose to use dirt. John chapter 9. This, this is just an amazing passage of scripture. Listen to this. John 9 verses 1 through 11. Jesus was walking along. He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. This is the part you don't like. I can tell right now you're, you're squirming. He spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? This is amazing to me. This shows you how, how separated this man was from society. His own neighbors were not even sure if it was him or not. That, like they, they kept this guy at arm's length. They, they, they said, he looks a lot like him. Is that the guy, our, our neighbor that used, used to beg? Our blind neighbor that used to beg? Is, is that, and, and they don't even recognize him. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. And others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. And I love this. I love his answer because he's not saying, yes, I am the blind man. He's not admitting that because he's not blind anymore. He's just saying, I, I'm the one you're talking about. Yes, I, he, I'm confirming I am that guy that used to be blind. I am the one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Let me paint this, this, this picture for you because something amazing happens here. I, I know what you're thinking. Well, of course something amazing happened. He, he healed him of blindness. But you have to understand the significance of this healing. This was a Sabbath morning. They're somewhere outside the temple gates, which is important. We'll get there in just a moment, but don't forget that. They're outside the temple gates. Beggars congregated, and, and they asked for handouts there. And it, it appeared that the disciples were struggling with this age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? We've all asked that before. Master, teacher, why do bad things happen to good people? Is this man blind? Because of his own sin or because of his parents' sin? That's the question that they ask. Is this his fault or is it his parents' fault? And you have to understand that, that rabbis taught that suffering in one's life was evidence of sin. It was a, a work-based society. And sin was elevated. Now, now, we know this. We know that ultimately sin caused this. You can go all the way back to the garden. You can go all the way back to the, to the garden of Eden when sin enters the human race. We know that because of that, sickness 
We know that disease, we know that, 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 that anything that happens to us, we, we can all trace it back to where this earth was cursed and, and we're subject to that at times, to where we have to, to live life. Sometimes bad things happen to good people because of, of the world that we live in and, and, and sin entering the human race. We, we know that. But in this society... They were saying that, that this man was blind because of either his sin or his parents' sin. That was the blame that was put there. Their, their belief was that he was blind because of sin, but whose sin? Was it A or was it B? A, his sin, B, his parents' sin. Jesus answered their question with C, none of the above. That's not the answer they wanted, but that's what he gave them. C, none of the above. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And, 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 and that's the part that we really don't like, right? That sometimes we have to go through stuff in life. Sometimes we have to face trials. Sometimes we have to face tragedy. Sometimes we have to go through, 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 through uh, tribulation of some sort because not because anyone has sinned, not because anyone has sinned against me, but simply because the works of God can be glorified through my life. Nobody wants that. But that's the answer that God gave him. That's the answer Christ gave them. It, it didn't happen because of his sin or his parents' sin. It happened so that the glory of God might be displayed in him. That The disciples, you see in this moment, the disciples were looking for human causes, but Jesus was searching for heavenly cures. The disciples were observing away from the problem. They, they, were, they, they were looking at it from a distance. They were away from the problem, but Jesus steps right into the problem. He says, I don't want to observe this from a distance. I want to be in the middle of it. And that's the promise that we have for our lives, that no matter what we go through in life, he promises us that he will be right there with us, that he will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he will put himself in the middle of our situation, and he will not leave us or forsake us there. That's the promise that we had. Yes, bad things happen to good people, but he promises I'll show up and I'll be right there in the middle of it with you. Because you can't keep God out of a messed up life. It's his specialty. And this man was a mess. Think about it. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, this blind man was a mess. He was a physical mess because it's quite obvious. It, he, he couldn't see. Unable to see since birth. He had never experienced sight. Blind since birth. He was an emotional mess Imagine that. He, he was always considered a beggar and an outcast of society. His own neighbors didn't even know if it was for certain him. And he was a spiritual mess. He probably had some skewed image of God since his type. A sinner. Handicapped. His type was not even allowed in the temple. I'll get to that in just a moment. So it probably messed up his his view of who God really was. If I may, I'd like to take you back to over 3,000 years ago to ancient Israel in the year 1000 BC, 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. So about 1,030 years before this, this blind beggar was healed. We go back to the days of, of King David, and if you know anything about that situation, the newly crowned King David, when he was beginning to assert his authority over the Holy Land, there was a city controlled by the Jebusites. Israel had never occupied the city. It's the city of Jerusalem. 
And, and David wants to set up the kingdom of Israel there, the capital of Israel there. That's where he wants the capital to be. This is Israel's land that God had given them. But with the inhabitants being the Jebusites, um, it, it, it was a strong fortress. Uh, Mandy and I, we, we've had the opportunity to visit there, and, and you look around, you see these mountains, and then right in the middle of them, there's this, this big hill, this big mound where they put this, this, the city of Jerusalem uh, big, big uh, uh, walls all around the city, and it was a fortress. You could not penetrate this fortress. It, 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 was, it was the perfect setup, and that's where David wanted his capital to be. But before the battle, before he just walks in and takes over, David sends some diplomatic representatives into the city, and he's hoping to settle this in a peaceful way. He, he sends a message, and he's like, basically, we're, we're going to come in, and, and we're going to destroy you but you can hand the keys over to the city right now and, and, and walk away and spare everybody's lives. But the Jebusites, they want nothing to do with it. And so they send a message back to David, and here's the message. Ha! David's army, this is what they say, David's army will never be able to enter Jerusalem. It gets worse. Here's what they say. It's taunting. They say the city is so strong even the blind and the lame will hold them off. In other words, our city is so fortified that we could put blind and lame men on the walls and defend against your army, David. And as you can imagine, David takes it to heart. David was a warrior. For some of the men in the room that, that you went through that series with me, man up, you, you know David was a Jewish warlord. He was a bad man. Yes, he had a heart for God, but he killed his tens of thousands. Okay? David takes this to heart. And in one of the most creative military strategies known to man, David's army, they sneak into the city, creeping through, through the tunnel made for the city's water supply. And, and, and once they get up on the inside, they can go in and unlock the gates, and, and they destroy them. They destroy them. And David sets up his throne and he takes the words of the Jebusites and he just rubs it in their face. And here's what David declares. This is so important. Please hear this because this will make you understand why Christ did what he did. David says, the blind and the lame shall be the personal enemies of King David. You declared publicly that the blind and the lame could defend this city against my army. But now that I control the city, the blind and the lame will be my enemy. And from then on, the blind people and the lame are considered a shameful people in Israel, reminders of the foolish pride of those who oppose God after Jerusalem is made into Israel's capital city. Get this, no blind or lame person was allowed to enter the palace. They, they couldn't. Against the law, do not enter the palace if you're blind or lame. When David's son Solomon built, built, uh, built the temple in Jerusalem, no blind or lame person was allowed to approach the altar. No blind or lame men were allowed to serve as priests because the, the handicapped, were symbols of shame. And it just carried on for, for, for hundreds of years. This was the mentality. If you were, 
we're handicapped in any way, you are a symbol of shame. But, but how many of you know Jesus never played by the rules? Jesus never played by the rules. When everyone else saw that, that blind beggar, when they saw him as, as shameful, is he blind because his parents sinned or because of his sin? There was never another option in their eyes. He's, he's blind because someone has messed up. Someone didn't live up to, to, to how God intended for them to be because of sin in their life. They, they, they didn't pan out. And now they are a symbol of shame. But Jesus never plays by the rules when it comes to reaching people, especially the ostracized the downcast and the dirt balls of society because if you go through the scriptures that's who Jesus liked to hang out with as a matter of fact the only people that Jesus ever healed inside the gates of the city of the Jerusalem were you guessed it the blind and the lame read it for yourself inside the gates of that city he, David I don't care what you declared you might be the greatest king that Israel ever had, but I'm the king of kings. And, and, and you may think that they are a disgrace because someone hurt your feelings with some words way back then. But, but I don't care because they're still mine. They're still sheep of my pasture. I'm still going to shepherd them. I'm still going to have a heart for them. And, and so you may see them as a dirt ball, but I, but I see them as something else. And the only people he ever heals inside the city of Jerusalem, inside the gates of the city, or the blind and the lame. Matthew 21 and 14 says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Do you get that? They weren't even allowed to come into the temple. Jesus calls them into the temple. I know you're not allowed to worship here because of, uh, of your condition, because of the way everyone looks at you, but Jesus calls them into the temple, and he heals them there. And what I love about this story, 1,030 years later, what I love is that this blind man just met his maker in a good way. I know when we say, oh, he met his maker. Usually that has a negative connotation to it. Not this one. He met his maker in the right way. But it's, it's weird. It's, there's no other way to look at it, church. It's weird. Jesus spits in the dirt. He makes mud. He takes the mud and he smears it in the man's eyes. You do understand, right? Let there be light. All he's got to do is speak it. But in dramatic fashion, that's not what he does. He doesn't just say, in my name, be healed. No. He spits in the ground. Spits in the ground, makes mud. And rubs it in the man's eyes and then tells him, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam. And I want you to wash your eyes. Can you imagine what people were thinking that day? Like, okay, Jesus, he's an outcast. We, we don't have much to do with him, but man, that's harsh. That poor guy's day just went from bad to worse. What are you doing, Jesus? We don't like him, but you? Why did you rub mud in his eyes? And then the guy has to walk through the city disgraced humiliated you see some of you you need to take that last walk of shame because the enemy has you so convinced right now that because of what's happened to you and the, the life that you've lived and the past that you've lived and the mistakes that you made and how you haven't lived up to it he's got you convinced 
that you'll never be what God wants you to be, but you need to take that last walk of shame because you need to get that junk behind you. You need to leave that stuff where it, where it is on the street. You need to get rid of it out of your life. You need to move towards what God wants for your life. A refreshing. He washes his eyes and he can see. Unconventional, even for God, unconventional way of healing this man. He disgraced him in order to bring healing to his life. But I think I figured out why. Jesus went back to the material that he first used to create this man. He's dirt. You're dirt. I'm dirt. They're dirt. She's dirt. He's dirt. We're all dirt. And Jesus goes right back to the very material that he made him with. And he rubs it in his eyes, recreating what the enemy had taken from his life. You see, because when, when God recreates, he doesn't repair what's old. He creates something new. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. He, he, he doesn't repair. He recreates and he uses the same material for you are made from dust and from dust you will return. Go wash your eyes and behold your new sight. When God chose to create something in his image, he chose dirt to use as the material. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Dirt is messy, but God chooses to use it anyway. But if you think about it, it pretty much describes the human race because we're messy. Right? We're just messy. Some of you are messier than others. But we're messy. You don't have to know a human very long to understand that it's just complicated. It, it should be like our, our permanent, you know, Facebook. It, it's complicated. It's just always complicated. It is. It's just messy. With, with humans, it's just messy. And he takes the dirt, the messiness of it, and he does extraordinary things with it. In the Father's hands, we become who he called us to be. Today is my second Father's Day without my father. my second Father's Day without my father and I miss him terribly. For the last few years of his life I, I could still hear his voice. Even though he had Alzheimer's I would visit with him. And some, Most of the time he didn't know who I was but he would still talk. He'd try to carry on conversations and many times it was things from decades ago. Sometimes before I was even born. But I could still hear his voice. Let me tell you something. If your father's still alive, call him today. Go see him today. Listen to his voice. Hear his voice. You'll miss it one day. But probably one of the
probably what I miss the most about my father are his hands. I miss my father's hands. My dad used to play this game with me when we were kids. When I was a kid, he was, he was an adult. We'd be driving down the road. He was driving, and I'd be sitting in the passenger seat, and my dad would reach over with those big old hands. And he would grab my leg. He'd say, son, let me show you how a horse eats corn. And he would just dig in. I mean, like separating muscle from, from bone and every. I mean, just, and it just, I mean, it, I would squirm. I'd about, you know, shout out of that car. I mean, it, it was so painful, but funny at the same time. And he did it for years. I would know as soon as, as soon as he put his, let me show you how a horse eats corn. He'd start. If you know how to do it, go, do it to the person next to you. Go ahead. Uh, even if it's weird, do it. If it's two grown men next to each other, do it anyway. It's fine. <laughs> That game continued even into my adulthood. I would go to the nursing home to visit my father, and he'd be sitting in front of me in a wheelchair. And even though my dad, after he broke a hip and he was confined to a wheelchair, even though his legs got got really skinny, his hands were still just as strong. And I'd pull my chair up to the front of his wheelchair and I'd grab his leg and I'd say, Dad, let me show you how a horse eats corn. And I'd start on him very gently. I'd start on him. And he'd take those big old hands and he'd grab my leg and boy, he'd lock in. And right there in the nursing home, I'm about to cry. Like, I mean, because then, then he didn't have the sense to let go. I mean, to him, it was just, yeah. I mean. Miss my dad's hands. My dad's hands could fix anything. He was like MacGyver. You give my dad duct tape, a bungee cord, and Velcro, and he could fix anything on the planet. It's, it, he, he just had a gift. My dad's hands, they made you feel safe. There's something about his hands that just made you feel secure. And when you were acting up, there was correction in those hands. Those big old hands, he knew how, I mean, he didn't have to have a belt. He knew exactly how to use those hands. That's the problem with some of your kids. Send them to my house for a week. I'll, I'll, I'll have them obeying the way my dad did me. I miss those hands, though. I miss my dad's hands. Because if you were sick... My dad would take those big old hands and he'd lay hands on you. And he would pray for your healing in Jesus' name, fully expecting with the greatest faith that when he removed his hands that you would be healed in Jesus' name. As much as I admired my dad's hands, it's my heavenly father's hands that perform the miracles. And I look around this room right now and I see so many people in here that at one time you were a marred vessel, 
blemished. But your father's hands, he reached down and he, he grabbed that lump of clay and he began to remold it on the wheel. You know, clay is just dirt in the wrong hands. That's all it is. Clay is just dirt in the wrong hands, but clay can be art in the right hands. Dirt becomes a masterpiece in the hands of God. In your life, in the wrong hands, it is condemned and it is worthless, but in the right hands, in the hands of the Father, it is free from condemnation and it is worthy. And somebody needs to hear that right now. That just putting your life into the hands of the Father, it, it, it takes you from condemnation and being unworthy. It takes you to no condemnation and being counted worthy. Not because of you, but because of everything that he has done. And he remolds us and he recreates us. It's just in the Father's hands. I'm telling you, I haven't always been who I am today. There was a time in my life when I was messed up, blemished, I was nowhere near what God wanted me to be. But he didn't give up on me. And he put me back on the wheel and he began remolding my life. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.